And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Well, greetings, everyone. I'm happy you're with us today. This is a most important day. And I'm praying that God will really work in a mighty way in all of our lives. I think a person is a very foolish person. Any person who does not think about the future is a very foolish person. Now, we don't live in the future like we don't live in the past. But we must be thinking all the work we're doing, all the effort we're putting in, what's to become of it? There's too many sad stories to recall because there's so many of them about people who labored diligently, served the Lord faithfully, only to leave their work to someone who made the biggest mess of it imaginable. And uh, people say things like this, they took it in another direction. Uh, they just don't have the convictions. It was Don, Dr. John Phillips who talked to me on a number of occasions and emphasized the point that I've made to you in the past. The first generation has convictions. Dr. Faulkner who was the longtime assistant with Dr. Robertson, well, for over 40 years, talked about rock-ribbed convictions. And he would use the expression sometimes that are driven a mile deep in your soul. <laughs> I think that was a good way of expressing it. So Dr. Phillips said the first generation has convictions. Then the second generation has beliefs. This was his way of doing it. You ask them about things, they say, well, this is what I believe. And most of the time, it's in reference to someone else who believes the same thing. The third generation, unfortunately, says Dr. Phillips, has opinions. I think you ought to write those things down. Convictions, beliefs, opinions. When I was a student at the University of Tennessee, my first uh, shot at things was the study of sociology. <laughs> you know, honestly, that came from a natural desire to help people. So I gravitated in this, into the sociology department. I soon got out of there, ran from that, and uh, crossed the street, went to the College of Education, and finished a degree in education. I just wanted a bachelor's degree so I could go to seminary. That was my objective, and that was the, at the direction of my pastor. But I was in the, in the transition from facts to feelings. In other words, there were no points of reference in the sociology department. It was all social sciences and 
and not physical sciences and that type of thing, but this is what we feel. This is how we're feeling about it. Or how do you feel about it? The language began to change. You know, language is an interesting study because you can follow the language and uh, actually the, the digression of language, the, the sometimes loss of language to the point where um, you actually know something's going on because people aren't talking the same way. I said to my wife the other day, you know, you have to have a, you have to have a, a new education in language, especially as it pertains to men and women, binary, non-binary, cisgender, gender, all these kinds of things. And so the answer to all this is the Word of God. Now, here we are in a generation. We're looking squarely at our convictions. It's like my discussion about fundamentalism. I am very happy to say that I'm a fundamentalist. And I like the study that was done uh, years ago for the publication of the books, The Fundamentalist. But there's a, a little glitch in that, and that is, I always like to say this, if you let me define fundamentalism and give the definition as what is synonymous or the same as biblical Christianity, I'm very happy to say that I'm a fundamentalist. But many people, when you say they're fundamentalists, you think of some half-baked situation, burnt on one side, raw on the other, who live on one hobby horse and that's it. And, uh, but that's not fundamentalism. It's a thorough understanding of the Word of God and uh, I think in an agreement with biblical Christianity. So let's talk about it today, today, please. Let's talk about this. How are we going to have deacons in the, past, in the future? How are we going to have outstanding laymen and women serving God? How are they going to love the local church instead of thinking it's some sort of religious add-on? Um, where are the people who are going to become the structure when the Bible says the pillar and ground of the truth and you look at people that are growing up even around, around God's people in the church, you wonder where the pillar and the ground is going. There's not going to be much to stand. And uh, we must talk about a few things. We must talk about a few things. But uh, let me read to you from the 78th Psalm. And the 78th Psalm. I want you to get this. The Word of God has the answers for us. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come. And that's the phrase I want to lift out. The generation to come. Showing to the generation to come. Think of it. The praises of the Lord. It's a short list, but it's a powerful list. That's number one. And his strength, number two. And his wonderful works that he hath done. 
That's what we're to show to the generation to come. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, and he commanded our, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. You know, it may sound a little old-fashioned, but God has one way of doing things, and that's the transfer of truth from one generation to the next. And when do we do that? How do we do that? There's a lot of insight given to us in the way the children of Israel were taught to teach their children. In the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, God gives us through the man Moses uh, the, the method that the Lord used and the, even the times when we're to teach them. Um, the general idea is just keep people busy and entertained. Keep them interested. Well, I contend that the truth is the most interesting thing there is. And don't become a clown. Don't turn your church into a circus. Don't turn what God's work is into vanity fair. Um, so the Lord's given us instruction about this. And I think asking a few questions... Like, where will the next deacons come from? We're electing deacons in our church. And what kind of man is to be a deacon? What are the biblical qualifications of a deacon? Well, there's an old song about uh, that we don't make new old friends. How many of you have old friends? I mean, you've had friends sometimes for a lifetime. I have certain fellows that I grew up with who are still my buddies but that doesn't happen just with the snap of the fingers. and it, it takes a long process. No one makes new old friends. So when someday you're searching for a mature person to lead in the ministry, or God forbid you're trying to find a pastor for the church, <clears throat> you want it to be consistent with the doctrinal soundness and the fervor that you have for the Lord and for His work, how does that happen? How do we raise sons and daughters for the generation to come? How does this young lady, with all the promise in the world, not get bent towards something so worldly and secular that um, we lose her? Or how does this young man, who has all the potential in the world, uh, develop into a young man who will serve God, love God, stand strong for God's work, how does it happen? Well, uh, I hate to tell you this, but the pastor, along with the parents, are the key players in this drama of life. And what we're seeing, what we're seeing so many places is the sad result, we're seeing the sad result of our neglect of the things that we should have already been doing, God helping us. It's no secret, it's, it's no secret at all that uh, training institutions that are for ministry uh, a, a generation and more, maybe two or three generations ago, turned into not theological foundation places, 
but methodology foundation places. I've said this before. I, I'm not losing my mind by just repeating myself over and over. I want to say it. Repetition is the mother of learning. But uh, it's not near as important to teach somebody how to have a big day in Sunday school or to have a big event for children in Sunday school than it is to teach people how to teach the Word of God and have it applied to life. That's where we have to work. And uh, the latter, the teaching of the Word of God and applying it to life and integrating it into life is a work that takes longer goals and objectives. Longer goals. We confuse sometimes between short-term and long-term goals because... um, Short-term goals most always are to do things. I'm going to do this, do this. And pastors are most of the time innovative and and ready. Christian leaders ready. Uh, they can have great mood swings. We see that in Moses, David, others in the Bible. But there has to be a steady application of truth. And that's what we're responsible for. And we must get our hearts set on that and get, get goals made, not just short-term to-do goals, but long-term to-be goals. And the to-do goals can be a part of the to-be goal. Uh, I'm going to use a personal illustration in just a moment, but I, I feel like we need to pray because we need a discernment that only the Spirit of God can give. Now, Father, we trust you. May what we're doing and saying be more than words. Help us not to just speak in word only, but in the demonstration of your mighty power. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me give an illustration. We're having a conference. I'm going to ask our folks to look at this. We're having a conference that is on our first freedom and uh, the First Amendment Conference, we're calling it First Freedom, and we have guest speakers coming. The dates for the meeting are April 11th, 12th, and 13th. Now, why have a First Freedom Conference? The bigger question is, why do our people think we need a First Freedom Conference? The first freedom we have is individual soul liberty. Uh, Without individual soul liberty and a knowledge of individual soul liberty, our government, our country would not be what it is. Our country did not give us individual soul liberty, but they recognize that we have it, that it's a gift from God. They recognize it's a gift from God. That's why we cannot run roughshod over the consciences of people. That's why we cannot in ministry have uh, the wrong leadership. When you see people being accused of the wrong leadership. There may be, there may be many people who are very authoritative and uh, so they move to authoritarian and they get awful, awful criticism heaped upon them and there are men who lead this way and we need that. But in ministry, people have to come to the conclusions themselves. They have to weigh things. There's a verse of scripture that's one of, one of my life verses in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it is in the 14th verse. It says, but, that's a disjunctive conjunction. It's a connecting word. It's a little strange connecting word, but. So read what's gone before it. 
but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Would you write those words down, and has been assured of? Would you please type them on your computer or write them down now, and has been assured of? But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So we're looking at that verse, and we're saying, well, what's powerful about that? What's powerful about it is every part of it. But don't overlook this powerful part that we have to be assured of. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says to him uh, in verse 13, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I said to our people recently, I think the thing that will characterize this age is deception. And the most necessary thing we need is discernment. Discernment. The true Christian, especially a person who's working in the work of the Lord, and pastors tend to have more discernment than anybody because they're, they're getting that discernment by using that discernment, they're improving that discernment. But uh, a true Christian with discernment, can identify almost immediately if this is of God, this is not of God, the Holy Spirit is in this, God has His hand on this, this has a divine direction, that type of thing. And we must, we must give people the opportunity to use that discernment. If you want to just tell people in your church everything they're to do, and I, you know, I've heard so much silly preaching in my life and I hope to hear a lot more, not silly, but a lot more preaching. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to invest more in eternity and uh, taking the years to do it. But I've been listening to preachers for a long time. And I've made a list of people that I thought were used of God in my own life. Maybe you ought, you ought to, you ought to uh, think that about your life and people God has used in your life. And I'm going to tell you, they're not the people who make you one of their puppets and their robots and tell you every move to make and give you every decision. You'll, you'll hear them talking like this. A, a young person will come to you and say something like this. What do you think I ought to do? Well, what are you thinking? What, what, do, you believe, what do you believe that God has put in your heart? What do you believe that will honor the Lord? And you put the responsibility back on them. If someone said to me, Clarence Sexton told me this out of the other and it was some directive about his or her life, uh, you could listen to them and you would know whether or not I said or didn't say it because you know that's not the way I give counseling. I want to let God have an opportunity in people's life because they can't really grow unless they're facing God with their own personal accountability. And so... And that ought to come forth in our preaching. You know, there is a, there's a, 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 an influence cast across a group, a congregation, may I say, that you're speaking to, that the speaker must be well aware of. And that is individual soul liberty and that each person has a conscience God gave them. And you're not going to try to get them to sin against their conscience. 
I heard a preacher say, I can't wait to get this church. I can jerk him around and get him to do whatever I want to do. I'd hate to have him as a pastor, wouldn't you? Well, I say it this way. I'd hate for my wife to be in that congregation and he think that he could jerk her around and do what he thought she ought to do. She ought to come to the firmest conviction herself that this is what God wants me to do. The strongest church is not the church that's been jerked around and forced to do things and told everything to do. But the strongest church is the church that's been taught how to pray and get a hold of God and find out what God wants and then have the firm conviction in their own heart. This is the Lord's leading. And I too, I also am wholeheartedly for this and into this. That may take a little more time. It may take a lot more prayer. But it involves a certain approach that you have with God and because of that with people. And uh, this, is, this is pastoral. This is, this is training. When the Lord says that we're to train up a child in the way he should go, that doesn't mean that we're to take over his life. We know that there are tendencies. We recognize them. But God has a way. And... Um, we're trying to deal with that. I'm just very concerned about where tomorrow's pastors, deacons, teachers, leaders are coming from. Are they going to just follow some trend? Are they going to buck the culture? It's like I said, institutions that have taught people just methodology and not theology. Theology is not teaching theology. Theology is teaching how people how to know God. The right study of the Bible is not learning the Bible. An unsaved person can learn the Bible and, and memorize the books and how to spell them and what verses are and key verses. But you're not doing it that way. You're teaching people about God. They're not just learning the Bible like it's a book on mechanics. It's, it's a book about God. There's a person involved. And there's the Holy Spirit guiding. And this has to begin with children in the youngest stages, all the way through. So we don't have church just to get people to come. We don't have church services on the Lord's Day just to have a service or just to keep people entertained. Did you have a good time? Did you really enjoy it? It's much more important. Did you learn something about God? What do you believe? What are your convictions? What do you know is true about the Lord? That's what you're into. And... Uh, we have got to turn the tide with a group, a remnant of pastors who turn the tide in their church. They may lose some people to begin with, but they turn the tide in their church, in their congregation, in that pillar and ground of the truth, in that body of believers. They, they're the people of God and they, they turn the tide in that church from an entertainment center to a training place where people are learning about the Lord. And the pastor has to die to self and get out of the way. And, 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 the, and the, the great person there is the Lord, not you, you know. They don't need to ask themselves, are we worshiping Brother Jim or are we worshiping Jesus? It needs to be always the answer is the Lord Jesus. So I said I'm going to talk to you about, I'm reading the email, preparing the generation to come. How do we prepare the generation to come? Well, one generation that knows God is the only generation that can teach 
God to the next generation. I love the structure of the Sunday school. Now, somebody might say, well, the Sunday school is a relatively modern thing. Robert Rakes and his influence in Sunday school and Sunday school history and the beginning of Sunday schools in England. No, no. God's people have always been held accountable by the Lord to teach their children and to teach the next generation what they know about God. It's just not the Sunday school. Sometimes we've, uh, we've given names to things that, that diminish the power of a thing. So I think we all know what would be the great thing in Sunday school. But uh, how, how, do, how do boys become men? How, how, do they, how do they grow up to be godly men? And uh, I made myself a few notes. Would you like to write them down? In order for a boy to become a man, he must be firmly settled in his faith in God. How does a person get firmly settled in their faith in God? They have to know the Lord personally. They have to get a certain knowledge of the Word of God. It's all right to begin Bible knowledge by saying, look, this is the Word of God. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. I want you to learn the books of the Bible. And then I want you to learn where things are in those books. If you want to read the life of Samson, for example, where would you find it? If you want to read the detailed account of David, I think he's mentioned 1,100 and something times in the Bible, where would you find a concentration on the life of David as, as he's introduced to us by God's man, the prophet Samuel, the, the person turning from, uh, from judges to kings and, uh, and the account God gives us in First and Second Samuel. So... The girl or the boy, I hate to say just for men because I think girls need to grow into godly women too. And you know, we have, the, we have this fixed thing in our, in our mind that the girl has to be, to be a godly woman has to be some seedy looking somebody that, whose clothes are made from, from rags and her hair is never, never in anything very attractive. I think that's ridiculous. Just ridiculous. God didn't give me girls. My wife and I have two sons and we're grateful to God we have sons and I have two beautiful granddaughters and I thank the Lord for them. They're very capable girls and they love the Lord. But uh, I'd probably spoil girl rotten. But the fact of the matter is when we're talking about these things we're talking about girls and boys growing up from childhood to be strong, strong Christian leaders. And so they have to anchor their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I never cease to be amazed at how some people come to Christ very, very young and other people come to Christ in their teens. I became a Christian. I had a knowledge of God, I think, all of my life. All of my life. Uh, the truth of the matter my father was a gambler. He was a professional gambler. My mother, uh, my mother was a waitress. She had no other skills. That's one reason I have a trade school at Crown College. 
because I want young men and women to be able to have employable skills and have a better life. And that's all a part of my makeup. I don't know what your makeup is, but my mother could have had less struggle if she'd had a, a, better, a better set of skills to work. But she worked as a laborer and as a, a waitress and a great one and, and did a great job and raised four kids on the tips that a waitress gets. That's why I say, if you're going to leave a, a measly tip in a, a restaurant, don't leave a gospel track from our church. I'll go get some from the Methodist church you can carry around with you if you're going to leave a quarter or something like that. But don't be ridiculous. And you know, if you think I just say that to you, I preach that to our people. I say, if you're going to go out and eat somewhere, what is 20% of it? If you can't figure that out, get you a calculator and figure it out. But be good to a waitress. And don't fuss at her or him over what they did wrong in the kitchen. They didn't cook the food. They just delivered it to you. And uh, don't be an idiot. And sometimes I say worse things than that. But, but my mother raised... My mother raised four children on, on what she got as tips. I can remember when my brother and two sisters were put to bed and my mother would get her apron that had now been twisted up into a, a sack and she'd use the, the laces that tied around her waist to tie a sack. And she, we would go to the, the kitchen table and we'd open up the apron and we'd sort out all the quarters, all the dimes, all the nickels, and yes, some pennies. And uh, we'd put it all together and count it because the waitress made very little money on an hour, but they lived basically on their tips. And I recognized how important it was to my mother. And then I'd seen my mother cry because of what people said to her. And she would say to me, honey, it wasn't my fault. I didn't prepare the food and those kind of things. I'm glad God allowed me to be raised by my mother who was a waitress. I'm grateful to God for her. My wife says I'm so much like my mother now. I'm looking more like her all the time. And, uh, but she's saying that I think with tongue in cheek as sort of a joke, but I take it as a badge of honor. Thank the Lord. But a young person must become a person who has a true relationship with God. And you have to give them the time to do that because it can't be forced upon them. It cannot be forced upon them, but it must be firmly settled. And then the Word of God will begin to reinforce that. And their own experiences with God will see that. And answers to prayer will, will see that. And they'll begin to know that God is real. And you can't ever take it away from them. They may be somewhere later in life and, and something they will draw on and from, like the deep well in their life that's involved in knowing, knowing the Lord. I believe, of course, I believe in the new birth. And I'm going to say something that's going to shock some of you, so might as well put your seatbelt on, tighten it really tight. Uh, but uh, some people don't really know as well as other people when they got saved. And they, they sometimes they struggle with that. What do I mean by it? I mean, here are children that from a child that's known the Holy Scriptures, from a child that's known the Holy Scripture. There never was a time in their life they didn't live in a Christian home. There never was a time they didn't have a Christian daddy or a Christian mother. And, uh, and one day, one day, maybe beside their bed or somewhere after a Sunday school class or in a car trip home from church or whatever, uh, 
they, they gave their heart to Jesus. And so others, children, had a dramatic experience with God. And uh, as the song says, they can tell you the time, take you to the place. So what is the real evidence that you've been born again? I, I've talked to many children, hundreds and thousands of them through the years who know the Lord as Savior. Uh, I never felt like I ought to push because you can't force a child to become a Christian. We lead them, we bring them, we guide them to God. But then do they truly know the Lord? And then they can hear some preacher, you know, you can't pray unless you prayed all night and you can't really be saved unless, you know, you can know the exact moment and who led you to the Lord and all of that. We, we need to think about our words and uh, if, if some questions are arising in your mind, that's exactly what I want. I, will, I personally want you to have to think, well, how can I know if someone's saved? Wonderful. Get an answer. Look, it doesn't say encyclopedia here. I'm not your answer to everything. You've got to get an answer for yourself. And God will give you those answers. But if we're going to have strong men and women, if we're going to see boys and girls become strong men and women, they must be people who have settled their faith in God. Another thing I'd like for you to write down, they must develop the spiritual maturity to lead a family. Now, where are the fathers and mothers coming from? God, in all His wisdom, and He's all wise, the treasures of wisdom are in Him, as designed so that the home is, is the learning place. Now think what a problem we've got. 80 to 85% of the young people we bring in uh, through our inner city ministry and urban ministry don't have a father living in the home. And sometimes when it's a boyfriend, when the children get old enough, he abuses them. Not all of them, but it happens. So where does a child learn how to be a mother and a child learn how to be a father? And you need to look the parents square in the face, right in the eyes, and not make any hedging about it and say, God has assigned you, mother, to teach your daughter how to be a mother someday. God has assigned you, father, to teach your son how to be a godly father someday. That's why you need to know the Lord and follow the Lord, because God is going to hold you accountable for that responsibility. I've said to lots of people, I'm sure I've made a lot of them mad. I want to make them mad uh, because I love them. And you can say anything you want to to the people you love because you're trying to help them. I've said to many a father, there's more involved in this than a biological contribution. Just because you're a man and you can get with a woman, you all can have a child. The children need to learn how to be a mother or father. And they learn that from the right kind of home. And the more we work on our home, I checked the other day, uh, I asked one of the great young people that works with me and helps me keep up with my messages. And uh, I said, just pull all the sermons I've preached that have something to do with the home. And there was 270 something of them I've preached here in the last 33 years, just directly on the home. 
because I know if I help the home, I'm going to help everybody else. So this is part of children growing up to be the men and women they ought to be. And then a third thing, we, we must recognize the responsibility of, of individual life supporting others. You know, it's a, it's a me generation. It's only what's good for me. It is, it is how, what do I get out of it? And so we need to build things into our lives and ministry where people are helping others, where they're learning to give themselves away. And God will guide you. You can make a list. The way I work is not the way everybody else works, and I'm sure everybody else works a whole lot better than I work. But I, I, I like to make lists and then eliminate things that don't need to be on the list and uh, prioritize the list and that type of thing. So how can we help people? To know that you can't have the home God wants you to have if you're a disruption in it. There are many times you need to tell an 11, 12-year-old kid that's getting into the years of puberty and things and rebellion, and it's a natural thing for people to find out. Uh, they're moving from childhood to manhood or womanhood, and you need to tell them, you know, you can't be right with God and be wrong with your parents. And sometimes parents begin to hate their own children because they're so different than the way they were when they were growing up. Little things. Little things can be guided everywhere and told what to do. Well, sometimes they can't be guided like that and told what to do. There comes a very big disappointment in every parent's life when a child will choose to be with a peer over choosing to be with a parent. And, uh, but that's a part of natural development that's happening. That, don't mean, that doesn't mean they don't love you. And that doesn't mean they don't want to be with you. But they're broadening their world, and it's a natural thing for them to broaden their world. I'm not a child psychologist. I'm a preacher. I said to a group of politicians the other night, I want you to know something. They were talking about trying to get the right people elected in office in our county. And I said, I want you to know I'm not interested in having anybody's office. I'm a Baptist preacher. And more than that, I'm a pastor. And I've been a pastor for 54 years and I don't want to be anything else. I just want you to know. But I believe the Bible and Bible preaching and pastoring can make every father a better father, every mother a better mother, can make every attorney a better attorney, could make every, every worker a better worker, every child a better child because God put the pastor there to teach everyone the Word of God and it's the Word of God that equips people. My brother says sometimes he has to say amen to his own preaching. I'm about ready to say amen to my own right now. Then for these children to grow up, they must grow up to be sexually pure and to commit their lives to God and to those they, that they, they love. This is, this is, as Vance Havner said in the 1970s in my present, he said it's sex o'clock. Not six o'clock, but sex o'clock in America. Almost everything comes with sex. You know, soap, uh, shampoo, you name it. Sex sells it. And it's sex o'clock. Well, you want somebody that has, hasn't given away their purity. You want a young man to know he's facing such temptations and a young 
lady to know, and they, they must commit themselves to God. And parents are so, so warped today. Many parents, they think it's just going to be natural for their children to be sexually active before marriage. They even promote it by helping their girls with certain things and helping their boys with certain things. And uh, I'm saying no more to be proper and have propriety in this. But children need to hear it younger than you think. Uh, the, the young people in America are getting sexually involved at, in younger and younger ages, 11, 12, 13 years old. And so these things are going to be talked about because you can wreck your life and direction. And more, more importantly, perhaps, you're not going to find God's direction when you're so emotionally and biologically involved, engaged in everything in life. You can't hear God. You don't, he doesn't mean what He ought to mean to you. And then he must be a man of integrity who is honest and trustworthy. We teach people don't sin against your conscience. Honesty is not the best policy. Honesty is the only policy. And so don't soil your conscience by telling something that's not true just to get yourself out of some scrape. Face the music. Face the discipline. Face the consequences. This will help with courage and bravery in this type of thing. So children must be awarded for trustworthiness and rewarded and told this is, this is the way life is. We build our entire lives on trust. Then that child must have a biblical worldview. They need to know that they're not the only person in the world and that God is at work all over the world. There are many ways to do this, especially with the supervised media that we can have today and the engagement we can be with other missionaries and Christians. Let them know the world is bigger than their, their front yard. But it's not, there's nothing in the world more important than what goes on in their house. May the Lord help us. Then these children must grow into an emotional maturity that they act and react properly. And you know, when God made us, tell them how God made them. God made them spirit, soul, and body. In our spirit, we have a conscience. In our spirit, the Lord dwells by His Spirit. And it's a supernatural thing when a person has been born again. The Holy Spirit comes to live in them. It is this sacred mystery God's revealed that Christ in us the hope of glory, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And uh, then we have a soul. In our soul, we have intellect, emotion, will. And the soul should operate that way, intellect, emotion, will. Uh, the most prized commodity is truth, intellect. Is this so? Is this the truth? Emotion and then will. Emotions can run ahead of intellect. Emotions can override will. But... Uh, Go through some of these things and, and uh, these life settings and help, help children uh, in your church explain to people how people can be led astray by something they're emotional about. If you're a young girl and you're going to have eventually have a boyfriend, a young man eventually have a, a girlfriend, call it whatever you want. If you're a homeschooler and you don't call it whatever, but uh, whatever you want, they're going to get interested in girls 
boys at least, and thank God for it. And girls are going to get interested in boys. But teach them some things about girls and about boys. But more importantly, teach them something about the way God made them. She may be absolutely beautiful and she might be a witch on the inside. And uh, so you don't want your emotions to run ahead of what is truthful and sensible. So we have to deal with this. Many a life has been ruined. And I may say this, I think I can prove it. Many a crime has been committed and a life ruined or marriage trust violated because emotion ran ahead of what is truthful. So teach people how God made them and work with how God made you. We have to have maturity in the life. And it's coming. It doesn't all come at once. Your children may do something as stupid as you might imagine. And believe it or not, not nearly as stupid as some of the things you did. But you've got to work with them. Forgiveness is the new slate, the clean sheet of paper you start with. And people who forgive people don't hold it up. I know what you did. Remember what you did back there when you... No, 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 no. Don't, don't put your children through that. Don't put other young people through that. So they must be people also who express truth always to others. They must be people who develop friendships. Do you know that the night when Jesus Christ was going to bleed and die... God records amazingly chapter 13 of John, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17. Those, all those chapters are in one 24-hour period. And in the 15th chapter of John, the Lord Jesus bears down on the idea of friendship, that his disciples must be friends. As he's been a friend to them, they must be friends. And he talked about three components in friendship. I've written a whole book on it, or the book. You only have to pay $300 for it. And uh, (laughs) I'm just wondering if you're listening. But anyway, get the book. But children need to learn how to develop friendships. And they go through stages. One friend talks to another friend about a friend in an adverse way. or They don't do that. You help them through that. Uh, How do you learn? How is somebody going to be a great friend to the pastor and a great friend to the Lord's work? He's to learn that growing up, these friendships. And then a person who becomes a mature adult understands that he protects the family at all costs. Why? Because he loves his family? That's part of it. Why? Because God created the family unit to be the cornerstone of all civilization. Why do you think there's such an attack on the family? This nonsense about transgendering and, and uh, different genders and this nonsense about marriage is all an attack against God and God's ordained way of the, of the foundation block, the, 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 the stone on which the whole civil world is built. Civilization is built on the family. Take your children beyond everything to the presence of God, what God says. 
about home and family. And they must be loyal uh, to family and protect family at all costs. And then, this is big. Teach children how to love the local church. Now, I'm going to say something's going to hurt some of you, and you're going to disagree with me. And I'm sorry. And uh, even people that I love dearly and are very close to me may disagree with this. But we're not helping ourselves by putting our children somewhere in some circus-type atmosphere in a back room on the church property and trying to entertain them. And they know nothing of listening to the Word of God or carrying a Bible or marking Scripture or memorizing Scripture. They know nothing of a, a gospel invitation that challenges them to live the kind of life they ought to live. And, uh, and, 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 and then we, we, we bring them in when they're 16 or 17 years old and expect them to love what we're doing in the big church. I don't believe there's any church but one. So I'm sorry. Somebody called me an old war horse and they thought they were doing criticism to me. But I, I sort of like being called an old war horse. I really do. And it uh, doesn't bother me at all. Uh, and then they say sometimes, you're old school. Well, you know, I, I sort of love the old school. I really do. If they're, if they're putting the emphasis where I think they're putting the emphasis. I'm trying to get through with this. And... Uh, so you've got to teach them to love the church. Do your children love their church? Do they love their pastor? Don't be distant from them. May God help us. And um, then children have to grow up and be able to teach others what they've been taught. That's so important. Able to teach others also. You can't have a deacon or a pastor or anybody else serving God faithfully who can't teach other people. So let them share the truth. Let them talk about what they've learned to someone else. Listen, I am so serious about this. We must get a generation to come. Now, I was sent some questions. I'm going to try to answer them quickly. What are some practical ways I can train young men to be leaders in my church? I've just gone through all of them. That's question number one. But uh, helping them with others who have learned. There are predators after children today. I don't think there's anything as awful, horrible, sinful that will bring God down on them any quicker. Jesus said you'd be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast in the sea than to hurt one of these little ones. But you're helping them with these things we talked about. Question number two, how do you start back the bus ministry? I'm not sure that we ought to start back calling it the bus ministry. I'm going to say this. It is the bus ministry, and I'm a bus man. We have buses and bus routes here, and I did that with Dr. Robertson. And oh, But anyway, it's a children's ministry, and we're using a bus to reach children. Let me give you just a little clue. You may not need to run the big bus the first week or two. Just start picking up children again. You might have families picking up children. You may get bus and children's workers from doing that, but let them see that children need to be brought to the Lord and guided to God. And you're never doing that without the idea that you're going to try to reach their moms and dads too. Question number three, at what age do you bring children <laughs> into church in the main auditorium? 
Well, we keep a nursery. What is it, gentlemen, till you're five years old? And, uh, and then when they're five years old, they come in. And, you know, some, some little juniors and little misses have been ruined and they can't listen to anything. I understand that. But that's what we do. And I like for them to grow up in church. We do lots of things for children. But the idea, the idea that we've got to entertain them is killing them. The idea that we've got to entertain children and young people is destroying our churches. Is destroying our churches. That's been the, that's been the way people have done it. And uh, can't keep them happy enough. It's Disney World every day. You know, it's ridiculous. The people of God are responsible for getting into the lives of children and young people what is necessary to help them grow up and mature into young men and women who can faithfully serve God and lead and love in a local church. It's not going to be done by isolating them. Question number four, what literature do you recommend for teenage boys to help them in their spiritual walk and teenage girls? There are some very good things. We've gone through that process and some of our people, our youth leaders, have book lists that we've gotten. And uh, I, don't want them, I don't want them having all this stuff where uh, they're told how to live the Christian life and the, and the local church is removed from it. But they're good people who understand. And uh, there's some people who are mad at the local church today and write stuff about the local church being bad because they've had a bad experience. Their experience is bad. But I'm not going to blanketly condemn all fundamentalists because of one. I'm not going to reject something because of one person. It's just not going to happen. And then the question number five that came to me is, uh, I don't want the children to ride the Sunday school buses to feel less than the children who come to church with their parents. Unfortunately, sometimes I feel like this still happens. Of course it happens. And uh, the ultimate goal is that you are loving them and helping them, providing opportunities for them to develop. Don't put ceilings on people because they don't need that. They need every opportunity to become. I'm a person who lived in a housing project. I, I know now what people think about people who live in a housing project. They're going to rob you and steal from you. And, and, uh, but I'm a person who lived in a housing project. And expectations were low. But God blessed me with certain things and uh, certain abilities, certain gifts. And people recognized that and helped me. I have come where I am, wherever that is, to God be the glory if it's something that brings the Lord glory. But I've gotten where I, I am by human handprints and human hands lifting and helping and guiding me. God used people. God used people in my life to bring me on a forward journey to Him. And I want the Lord to use me the same way. Now, gentlemen, we, we've got to become the remnant that has church God's way, the Bible way, and takes the long look. We have to be 
people who take the long look at training people from childhood to adulthood to be the sons and daughters of the next generation who carry on the wonderful work of God. It has to be done. And you're just the person to do it. Pray for me, please. Let's pray together. Dominic Cuso, I see you. And my man Frank is with you. Frank, get back in the picture. Yeah, you look so much better than your daddy. God bless you, son. You even look better looking than your granddaddy. And uh, so, Dominic, I want you to lead us in our closing prayer. Any comment you want to make, make it and lead us in prayer. Thank you, Pastor Sexton. It was a challenge today. And um, I appreciate, appreciate what you say and the spirit you say it in. And um, I ask that we all pray for each other, you know, and, and I'll lead in prayer here, but let's, uh, let's pray together. Amen. Now you're doing the thing we talked about with old Frank there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, Frank I got him someday, here with me. Frank someday can give his testimony. He can read the scriptures before you preach. He can lead in prayer. And uh, he's already doing some of these things. You've taken him on mission trips, I happen to know. But yeah. how do we expect to have leaders for the next generation if we don't train them? Yeah. I couldn't, we could not have done what we, God has used us to do here at this place without our children helping both Frank and Olivia. And um, they I say the same thing. When I went to Patterson, when I went to Patterson, New Jersey, and I, my children had responsibility placed upon them, and I don't pity them for it. I, I'm glad God put them in that place. It helped them grow and mature. It really did. Yeah. I want all you men who've been listening today to encourage people to listen to this if you've been helped. Lead us in prayer, Dominic, before we leave one another today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can speak to you. Lord, we thank you for the patience, the long-suffering that you've had with us. We thank you for those you've placed in our lives that have had an influence on us and trained us uh, for ministry. Lord, I thank you for Pastor Sexton and, and just the, the time that he takes out to be intentional about getting these truths, uh, Lord, to the next generation. And thank you for that emphasis in your word. And I thank you that Pastor Sexton brought that emphasis out. God, I, I pray that you'd help us all. Uh, Lord, we fail in many ways, but we... We pray that we would not fail in this one. Lord, should you tarry your return, I pray that there'll be a generation rising up that would be, uh, because of necessity, even stronger, closer to you, uh, more reliant upon you, that they would know you and love you. Lord, I pray for my own children. I pray for Frank here and for Olivia and Lord, for the uh, many young people represented both on the call and, and the children of those that are on the call. Lord, I pray you help us to be the parents, uh, the fathers, uh, that we should be uh, for your glory, for your honor. Lord, we thank you for this challenge today. I pray that it would make a big difference for eternity because we have been obedient to your spirit. Just in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Frank, give your mother a hug for me. Tell her I said old, I love her. And be nice to live. Will you be nice to her today? Do something special to your sister today. Good. Amen. I'll see you guys. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.